Um, and hello, everyone coming in. Welcome on in. Uh, good to see you guys. And hello to the replay viewers as well over there on YouTube and Twitch. Um, <clears throat> but yes, uh, since we had to miss our our normal Wednesday time slot this week, we went ahead and uh, decided to do an episode this weekend. And uh, Gemma was uh, talking with me, said, you know, we have, uh, I have Thomas's uh, cancer diagnosis anniversary. It's been what, three years now? Three years today. Three years today. So we are going to be discussing that tonight. Um, actually, Gemma's going to do a lot of the talking um, mm -hmm. and kind of run through what it was uh, to, to get the news. Um, we've, we've touched on this in the past, obviously, um, mm -hmm. but it's good to re take another look at it and, uh, and see where we're at uh, now that it's been three years and uh, what, you know, what's still to come and how, how everybody's feeling, you know, family, friends, Thomas, um, yourself, and, and just take an overall look at, at everything. Um, yes, there is some feedback coming. I don't know what that's from, but I hear it now. Um, well, we'll try and figure that out. I don't hear it. You don't hear it? No. no. Maybe it's just me. Anywho, um, so that's, that's the plan for this evening. We're happy to be here on a Saturday. Thank you guys for coming in on a Saturday night. It's good to see everybody in here. Um, and, you know, without further ado, Gemma's kind of going to kind of be our guest again. Gemma was our guest, and now she's permanent co-host. She was guest on episode five. Yeah. And this will probably be a little reminiscent of that only. Uh, yeah, we, we did that one and then the one with Jim because his daughter had leukemia as well. So that was... That was one on edge because you did that from the firehouse and like i think i don't think i've ever prayed so much that no alarm went off I'm like please no that was a uh i was at oh. a i was on a mandatory shift of overtime and i was at a slower station so i was confident that we would uh make it through but there's always mm -hmm. that little bit of worry uh, oh yeah but anyway uh, without further ado, why don't we get right on into it? Um, mm -hmm. You want to tell us a little bit, maybe of the background first, and then kind of go in. Yeah, yeah. To so the story. it's actually International Children's Cancer Day on the fourteenth of February, so it ties in quite well, I guess, for that as well. But literally three years ago today, Thomas was diagnosed with. At the time, it was just leukemia. They didn't know which type. Um, but it was the night of the 11th that I rushed him into hospital with suspected meningitis because he developed a rash. Am I all right to put the picture up? Yeah. And you'll see what I'm talking about. You have right, so that's the rash. Now, he'd been off the week prior uh, off school because he had very bad sickness and diarrhea 
and they have to be clear for eight hours before they can return to school. And he had been. So I said the uh, three-letter swear word to him, bed, because you're going to school. And that was it. He had a complete meltdown. And I just let him get on with it because he wasn't doing any harm. I thought, you'll calm down. And then I went to move him. So this was around about 10 past quarter past eight at night on the night of the 11th. And I noticed straight away that rash on his face. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, where did that come from? Now, I could see it on one side because he was laid on the floor asleep. So I picked him up and noticed it was on both sides. Then I started to look under his top, noticed it was from the nipple line up on both front of him, back of him, top of his arms. It actually spread right down his arms as we were going later on into the night. Uh, the first thing they teach you here is to like look for meningitis, uh, put a glass tumbler over it, and if it doesn't disappear, if it's a non-blanching rash and it doesn't disappear under the glass, it could be meningitis. I do remember so you I telling rang, me that. I rang for medical advice. I rang the um, 111 number that it is here for non-emergency um, medical assistance. And they said, you need to get into the hospital, but it's going to be 45 minutes for an ambulance. I thought, no, nah, I'm not waiting. I says, I can drive. I'll take him. And I went round to my mum's, pick her up just so she could keep an eye on him in the back. Took him to hospital. Um, I don't think I once looked at the speed limit and stuff. I was like, my child needs to get to hospital. Like, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I did. And they at first kept him away from everybody, um, just in case it was meningitis. And then... As the night went on, we'd been there a couple of hours and um, they then started saying, like, no, we're confident it's not actually meningitis, but we want to run a few more tests. We're not sure what it is. Um, thankfully, they did. They run a blood test and they said, while the results come back, we want to put you on what's known as the cat unit. So it's where they put children that they know they're going to admit, but they don't know where in the hospital at the moment, like it's cl clinical admissions. I can't, um, can't remember what CAP actually stands for, clinical admissions something, I think. Mm -hmm. And I remember they didn't have a bed for us, so we had these two camp beds. And I remember the whole night trying to literally spread across both beds and hold them together because he had taken residence in the middle of the bed Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't held them together, he would have fallen straight down the middle. And the whole night, I, I didn't sleep anything, watching over him constantly, like, what is this? What is going on? It was really noisy anyway. And he just, all he wanted to do was sleep. Now, I know for about four months before he got his diagnosis, I'd been taking him to the doctors. He was always very bruised and they would just say well he's a boy it's a normal thing eventually they actually accused me of causing his bruising um having a background in teaching and child protection i knew exactly what they were doing 
and it's then like I thought to myself if I can't prove what's going on here what are they going to do because I knew they were going to make a referral because he was he was he was absolutely black and blue he was covered in bruises and I'd taken videos to the doctors he was really struggling to breathe on a night he was okay sat up coughing quite a lot but when he was laid down it was a awful wheezy really struggling his eyes were rolling his chest was it was very labored it was very very intense struggling to breathe and i took i took these videos and photos to the doctors and they were just saying don't worry it's just a viral it's fine why is that decided to do that sorry um then they said they would refer him to the uh, difficult asthma clinic and all the time this was going on we were getting no closer to getting any answers and it's not until this rash appeared when we ended up in hospital and I remember a doctor a nurse and I think he was a healthcare assistant that came and it would be about quarter past eight in the morning and said, are we okay to have a word? And I just like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then he said, can you come with us? And I'm thinking to myself, why would they want me to go into another room? This can't be good. And I says, I can't leave him. He's going to fall down the middle of the bed. Mm -hmm. And the doctor just said, don't worry. There's somebody here going to watch him. Just come with us. Don't worry about it. And even though the room was only like maybe what 10 meters away from where we were it felt like the longest walk ever because all that time I was thinking to myself this can't be good if they're taking me away from him what what what's happening then it was going through my head do they think I've caused these bruises what what's going on and he said to me sit down I'm like no I'm fine and he goes are you sure and he says, I don't know how to really tell you this. I can't give you much detail at the moment, but your child's got cancer. And after that, I just completely shut off. And then I, I remember saying I apologised after because I felt so bad. And I said, I just said, bullshit, you don't know your job. This mm. you, My child has not got cancer. That is crap. And I wouldn't admit it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't accept what he was telling me. And I'm like, okay, what kind of cancer? What is it? If you if you think you know so much, what is it? Where's he got it from? And we said, he said it's leukemia. And he asked me if I knew what that was. I says, yeah, I know what it is, but you're wrong. And he says there's different types, but we need to do some tests. Uh, but we also want some X-rays first because there's something else going on. He's got a very very um, low platelet count but an extremely high white blood cell count um and it's apparently the white blood cell which is because thomas had t-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia and apparently it's the white cell which is the t-cell and he he explained it to me as if you've got a production line of say car parts being made 
and all of a sudden this machine starts making them with a fault and then it continues to make them with a fault all these ones from there on in are faulty and they're just going to keep stacking up and stacking up and stacking up now because the t-cell leukemia is the faster reproductive cancer of the two there's b-cell and t-cell the t-cell is the faster reproducing cell mm -hmm. all these cells that were being made had nowhere to go so that this this i'm going to put up an image of an x-ray of a cancer just to let you know um this was the x-ray so the one on the left was taken the day he was diagnosed on the 12th of February. And that like big white mass that you see in his chest is all the leukemia cells that had formed together to form a huge mass, which was why he couldn't breathe because that, um, that mass was pressing against um, his lungs and his heart and um, they said that because of that they couldn't actually um, I've seen some questions I'll answer in a sec I um, after they said they couldn't do anything with putting him to sleep normally they would put what's known as a central line into the child so that they can get the drugs that they need to into him but to do that they have to put them under anesthetic put them to sleep but because he was so unstable with his breathing they couldn't do that they couldn't risk it so he ended up having cannulas and he had i think the most he had at any one time was five so he ended up having them in the crack of his arm the back of his hands his feet and it was, they were very sore for him. Um, at some points, he had him halfway down his arm, which the worst thing I ever had to do was physically pin down my child mm -hmm. to the point of him screaming so much so that the doctor could put this into him. And he would tell me that he hated me. And I'm like... I hope one day you realize that it's because I love you that I'm doing this. Right. Because that was the worst thing that I ever had to do physically. Literally had to bear hug him so that they could pin him down and do that. Um, they did, on some occasions, give him what's known as midazolam to sedate him. Not to completely knock him out, but just to make him feel quite woozy so he didn't have quite as much fight in him but as the cancer started to really get hold of him he, that's when I could tell he wasn't well because they started pumping him with high level steroids and that's when he lost his fight he would just lay there and let them access him <coughs> He didn't even blink. He didn't fight. He just laid there, and I thought, yeah, yeah he's not well. Well, at this point, yeah. we're on the initial stages here, um, mm -hmm. just learning, just coming uh, to terms with this. Obviously, we're hitting the five stages of grief we enjoy talking about mm -hmm. on this show. 
um, and, you know, making this transition. Um, so at this point, like, well, I want to ask, like, where, where is your head at as mom? And, um, you know, how was Thomas, uh, was he understanding um, being a child, you know, and three years younger? Hmm. Um, was he grasping what was going on? But before we get that, if you want to take a look um, uh, at some of the questions that have come in, uh, Eric, yeah, heard, yeah. I think you had mentioned something about five years being cancer free, maybe. Um, yeah, what happens when he, so Thomas is due to finish treatment in May this year. I'm not going to name any dates or anything because I haven't told anybody the date for the simple reason I don't want to jinx it. So it's in May yeah. this year. And if he finishes his treatment, he will then have to have tests for five to six years after that to ensure that it's not coming back. If after five, six years, it doesn't resurface, he will then be deemed as cancer-free. Oh, um, he is known as what is in remission now, even though he's on active treatment. However, he won't be deemed as totally cancer-free till the five, six-year mark after his last chemo treatment. Um, but, yeah, it is, it's about five or six years. Initially, after his last treatment, he'll be tested. I think it's once a month for the first six months. Then it goes to every two or three months. Then it's every six months. Then it's every year. Um, and Tracy asks, um, was stem cell ever uh, considered? Uh, yeah, what they, I don't know how it's done there, but they've said that if he relapses, then that is what they'll, he'll have to have a stem cell transplant and a bone marrow transplant. The bone marrow transplant comes into play because it's the bone marrow that is making the defective cancer cell. So they transplant that and the stem cell because like that that would help him the only transplants or transfusions he's had he's had um 12 blood transfusions four of which have been full blood the rest were platelets mm -hmm. um on one occasion he was that deficient with everything he had a foot what is known as a full blood transfusion which was can't remember how many pints but it it was so funny really because we took him in and he was absolutely gray like no color to him mm. and it's literally like you could see as the blood was coming in it was like he was filling him up and flush he was really flush after and he went in and i wheeled him in the wheelchair just slumped in gray looking and he went out of that hospital bouncing around like I have never seen him so lively in my entire life. And it's like, I, I remember joking to the doctor. I went, geez, can I have a pint of that? Yeah. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Yeah. And it really does show just how much a blood transfusion can actually help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that actually saved his life. I know that they can put certain stuff into the blood. Now, Thomas is a positive 
and they have actually given him a positive blood throughout. Um, I'm rhesus negative, so I could have given to him. However, they say, because I asked if I could give mine to him, and they say, and I don't know how, how much truth is in this, but they say he's more likely to reject something that is from his own parent than he is from somebody else. But they also needed to make sure it had certain things in it that he needed. Um, like if he was iron deficient, they would put some of that in and mm -hmm. certain vitamins, they can put it into the blood to help him that way. But the first couple of transfusions he had, he actually had an allergic reaction to it. And it caused a fever spike and he had a convulsion because of it. So every time after they did that, they had to infuse a, like a strong antihistamine through it first. And then an antihistamine alongside the blood just to keep it going so that he didn't react to that. And that seemed to work every time. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, it's only been four full blood count full bloods that he's received and then the rest were platelets because that's mostly what he's been lacking in because the amount of white blood cells have taken over mm -hmm. and as a result the white blood cells being high the platelets are low which is why he was bruising now obviously we didn't know that at the time but that is why he was so badly bruised and Literally, when he was in the hospital, even the blankets on him were causing bruises. And when the nurses and things are, when I had had to pin him down, he was absolutely black and blue with bruises. Right. And I remember saying to him, I said, honestly, I didn't want this. I'm glad they know that I now haven't caused the bruising. But my God, did I never want this. Yeah. And so... Going back to uh, going back to it, and uh, welcome in everybody uh, trickling in. Uh, thank you for joining us on this Saturday, yeah. uh, Saturday edition of the Mental Health Hour. Um, I'm I was not feeling the greatest, uh, battling a bit of a head cold earlier this week, um, but. Here we are on a Saturday, and it works out because today happens to be the three-year anniversary of Thomas's diagnosis. So uh, we've decided to do a, a bit of a special episode tonight and kind of revisit the um, – we've talked about it, obviously, on this show before, um, and Gemma's shared quite a bit about Thomas and his – journey um but we're we're doing a bit of a revisit of three years later and that brings me to my question um i i asked uh you know kind of at this point we're we're at the beginning phases you're just getting the news you're going through the five stages um where is is your head at where's thomas at um and and you know since he is young uh at this time but then also uh looking at it now three years later uh, where is your head headspace now uh, as opposed to three years ago? 
So initially, and up to that point, I had not accepted it at all. I was still, it took me a long time to accept it. And I think the acceptance came in when I had to hold him. And it was at the time when they put his central line in. And I had him, I cradled him like a baby. And they put him to sleep. And I felt him go like literally dead weight. And it's when they did that, whisked him out of my arms. And this, I've got the exact one they put on him. And they put that on his face and put him on the bed and ushered me out. And at that very moment is when acceptance came into play. And I dropped to the floor and screamed like really loudly in the middle of the hospital. Why me? Why Thomas? What the fuck? And... Mm -hmm. That's when acceptance hit me. Before that, I was looking for blame. I was just not accepting any of this. And then I was like blaming myself. Have I given it to him? Is it something I've done? Have I really been that bad a person that they're making me suffer through my son? Um, and as for Thomas, we'd taken some advice from Macmillan and... Um, the child specialist, the play therapists. And they came in to help us explain it as well. But at this point, all that Thomas knew that his blood was poorly and mm -hmm. that they had to help him get his blood better. We didn't mention the word cancer to him, um, but he eventually asked. I think it was about two weeks after his diagnosis, he said to me, Mommy, have I got cancer? And I'm like, it felt like somebody had just thumped me in the chest. I'm like, oh. And I said, I was honest, and I says, yes, you do. And I says, but it is your blood, and it is the poorly blood. It's just that's what the name is. And his next question was, am I going to die? And... Um, Luckily, at that point, one of the play team had come in and she helped me because how I held myself together after that. And what I didn't want to do is say, no, you're not. Because I, I'm like, what if I say no and something happens? Am I going to jinx it? I didn't want to. But I said, that's why the doctors are giving you these medicines, because they're going to make you better. And we're going to do absolutely everything we can to make you better. So I didn't say yes or no to him. I didn't want to do that to him. And I also didn't want to say, no, you're not going to die. As much as that thought was in my mind myself because i didn't know i also didn't want to scare him but i also didn't want to say no you're not and tempt fate if you know what i mean because all this time it's going through my head why me why thomas have i done something wrong like sure. trying to make sense of and I couldn't, and it really wasn't until that point that they put him out to put his central line in that I thought that it, it really dawned on me. And then came into play, like, I guess the grieving for the life that we had, 
And even now, I'm still doing that. Even though I've accepted that this is the way things are, I am mm -hmm. still very mm -hmm. much grieving for the child that I had because he's had to grow up so incredibly quickly. And if anyone asked him now what he's got, he can tell you what it's called. He can name his medications. He knows what days he takes what medications. He's he's grown up so quickly. And in some ways, that's devastating to me. That's a that's a huge part of it. Um, yeah. Even for um, a child, like anybody, uh, I know when I uh, was dealing with my issues a couple years back, it was just, it was really just a part of the process was just learning. And I'm still today just trying to get more information and more education. And uh, it, it really does help you cope with and uh, move forward with your um, situation. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's a very important thing. It's a, it's, it's, uh, it's a good thing mm -hmm. to see. I really think that's why we try to do so much for charity as well, because when I'd accepted it and it literally felt like I was having a medical degree thrust on me overnight, because everybody that came in for that first week or so was bringing me all these information packs and they'd given me a folder. And I'm not kidding, there must have been at least with all the documents and stuff, at least 500 pages worth of different information. I had to choose which central line I, he was having. And that was a really tough choice because there was the one that he's got is a called a Portacast. And then there's a Hickman line. And the Hickman line would mean that, like, he's always got two, like, wires hanging from him. And the ends would have to be changed every week for the whole three and a half years of his treatment. But it means for the entire three and a half years, he's always got these two wires hanging from him. Whereas the Portacath, even though it's a needle when it needs to be accessed, mm -hmm. when at, at the start, when he was needing all the time, they could leave it in for a week, tape it up, and it was fine. But, like, now he's not needing to be accessed um, every week. It's only once every four weeks at the moment, unless there's something else that comes up. But that means for those weeks where he's not being accessed, the only thing you can see is a bump under his skin. And, yes, it is quite a bump. Yes, it has caused scarring where they've repeatedly gone into the same space for the needles. Sure. But it means that he's able to live a relatively normal life without these two great long wire things hanging. So that was why I chose the Portacath. And there are times where I wish I hadn't because it really is like a small nail going into you. And his is, most of them seem to be situated here, but his is like here under his arm. And I think that's to do with how skinny he was and because it's literally connected it goes up his neck into his major artery down into where the portacath's accessed and across into his heart and 
it's a much easier way to get the drugs into him and any blood that they need because his veins are so awkward and tiny and he was so sore like i'm just going to put this picture up now this is where you can see the bandages he had a cannula in his arm up halfway up the arm there then his right hand has one uh he they take me out of his left um his left hand and then both feet had them as well so it was just trying to get them into him all the time and it was really really difficult uh this one here shows the one in his foot he was mm -hmm. receiving a blood transfusion on that occasion um this one here shows you there his blood transfusion then the bag the, there's like a white bag that was feeding him because he was no longer eating he just mm. was not eating anything then there's one below that's giving him some uh, medication then there's the syringe drivers that were pumping uh, chemotherapy into him and steroids but for the first month it was just steroid based because back to this one um, here, as I say, the first scan was the 12th of February. Mm -hmm. The second one was the 15th. So only a few days apart, that just shows how much of a difference that made with just the steroids. It was very, very high level steroids and it had a huge, huge impact on him. I am, I'm just going to put something up here that shows that like it really did swell him up. I don't yeah, show the ones that But you can see how sore his hands are. The backs of his hands are so incredibly mm. sore from being accessed. Uh, his other hand was strapped up. Uh, he'd had a massive reaction to one of the, uh, the numbing creams that they use. Um, on there. And then there's here where he's all taped up and there's the feeding tube that's in there. Uh, the, the one the tube on the bed is his feeding tube, but then there's the, um, the other one that's going into his back of his hand is medication. And it all had a, an impact on him so greatly that he couldn't walk and there we were in the wheelchair for quite a long time because he lost control of his legs at one point his eye socket collapsed so he went with he went with quite a bad squint luckily it came back there are some photos that i've kept off the internet mm -hmm. because what i don't want is for later on in life i mean he will have access to them but i don't want other people to have access to them because kids can be cruel and the last oh. thing I want them to do is to find these photos of him very, very steroidal. I'd say he was three times the size he's there and to be cruel about it. So for his own sake, for when he's older, I haven't put those online. But... Um, so yeah. um, take a moment here to... Thank everybody for stopping in again, and thank you all for the bits um, yeah, and for the subs. Um, as as always, a reminder 
um, any bits or subs um, goes right back into the show. Um, we use that money to uh, better the show. Uh, so uh, our last purchase, I believe, was this uh, StreamYard subscription with some of the money from the Elder platform. Um, but, um, yeah, so welcome in again. Uh, thanks for joining us on a Saturday night. Uh, and uh, we're, we're revisiting uh, Thomas's diagnosis if you're just joining us. Um, as you, uh, if you haven't seen Jim, Jim in Chicago land is in the chat as well. His daughter, Ashley, um, has a, the same diagnosis as well. Um, so we actually did an episode with Jim, uh, way back when, and, uh, had, a, had another discussion about this. Um, so today is, uh, today marks three years since the diagnosis, um, mm -hmm. I know we've kind of touched a little bit on on where you are now. Um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you want to further uh, yeah. add to that, uh, as far as like, um, you know, I know you don't want to give any uh, dates or jinxes, and that's completely understandable. But mm -hmm. uh, how are we looking, and um, how's Thomas's you know quality of life these days? And yeah, uh, have you noticed anything? So I don't know if everybody knows, but about, I'd say maybe about three months ago, Thomas, I took Thomas into the hospital because the whites of his eyes had gone yellow and his skin slightly had started yellowing. It was jaundice and he had cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, that was down to the chemo. Uh, he has now got normal jaundice levels and his skin is now a normal colour. His liver is still fighting, but it is holding its own at the same time. It's not getting any worse. They are hoping that it will return to within normal range. But if there is any more spikes in the counts that they do, they've just done a full liver function literally last week. If that gets any worse, they have said they're going to have to remove him from the chemotherapy drug that's causing that. But so close to the end of his treatment, they are trying to make it hold on because he's not got that long to go with it. But it, it does happen to be the one that he's on every day that is causing this. Um, yeah, in talking with you, it, it was kind of a back and forth there for a little bit, on again, off again. Um, that's a lot going on, especially coming to the home stretch, like you were saying. Um, and that's one thing that I'd, I'd kind of like to point out um, while I have a second is that, you know, Gemma and I, we always say that we're not doctors. We, we don't know um, exactly, you know, we're, we're not here to give you medical advice. We're, we are bringing this show to you because we're people that live through shit. Um, everybody does. It, it's a part of our everyday lives. Uh, every, everybody in one way, shape or form faces these mental health struggles. And for us to, for Gemma today to, uh, and in previous episodes to come out and be open and honest and, you know, start the conversation and try it. That's what we're trying to do here. We're just, we want to normalize it and make it see uh make it more real uh that you're not alone 
in this world. We're, we're all together in this. Um, and that's a, a great reason to revisit uh, this story and, and check in um, because that's one thing we have to do with ourselves on a daily basis is check in, make sure uh, that we are uh, constantly, uh, you know, looking inside of ourselves, inside of our uh, heads, if we can, and uh, just doing that daily check-in, uh, sometimes three, four times a day, uh, stop and be mindful and be in the moment and see exactly what's going on. And uh, if you're experiencing an emotion that isn't uh, your norm, uh, try and figure out what's what's going on. Um, is there uh, anything that can be changed? Is there anything that should be changed? Um, and, and just making it more real. And then always, always never be afraid to talk about it with another or with a journal um, or with uh, a trained professional. Um, we, we do bring this show each week just to kind of put some information out there, um, stuff that we've learned along our ways, uh, as we hope everybody would like to do um, and like to hear. Uh, that's part of the AA program I'm in is sharing, sharing this experience, strength, and hope uh, in order to help another alcoholic be as successful in the program uh, as you are. So uh, just wanted to kind of point that at, out and thank Gemma again for you know revisiting this. Um, and, and showing that we can share and it's normal to, uh, to, to uh, feel the feelings that we feel and we're not. Mm -hmm. So uh, moving forward there, Gemma, um, where are we? Uh, where are we uh, with the, uh, I'm sorry, you were going, you were with the, the jaundice and everything. Mm -hmm. and on again, off again of the chemo. Have we we've got that squared away? Uh, he's back on chemo. He's he's on back on to one hundred and ten percent oral. They have kept his IV um, chemo. That's every four weeks. They've kept that at fifty percent because of the damage it's done to his legs and his hands and that they agreed that that would stay at 50% throughout the remainder of his treatment because it had caused too much damage to him. They can't promise that it will go back to how it was pre-chemo. Um, he may all always have the problems with his legs and his hands, but until he finishes, that's not something that they say they will know. But he currently wears um, splints on his legs. He has some for in bed and then some for out and about to put in his shoes and things or special boots mm -hmm. just to try and help him. He still occasionally needs the wheelchair. It's usually after he's had the IV chemo just to help him out because he can be a bit unsteady at times, a bit worn mm -hmm. out. Um, I won't know about his liver until probably next week because uh, they take a little while to come through. But 
so far everything else seems to be going okay there are other things that have come into play that aren't necessarily cancer related it could be just what i have being hereditary as well um but they are keeping a very close eye on certain things with it um just just to see how he goes and i mean that's the one thing that worries me about him um finishing chemo and I don't know if this is going to make sense to anybody, but right now, if there's anything at all that I'm worried about or any problems with his health at all, I have a few numbers that I can ring 24-7, 365 days of the year. And there is always someone on that phone immediately. Whereas when he finishes chemo, that's not going to be the case. For a little while, it will be but then it will drop off and we'll be just referred back to normal services for a child that doesn't have cancer. And that what that's what worries me because even though the cancer is no longer in his body, it's still very much up here. And I'm never ever gonna get out of my head that he had cancer and it could come back. Now, because of the way that he was treated, because he had the mass on his chest, normally they said that they would take a bone marrow sample, test it to see what type it is, and they would, it would also tell them where he was higher or lower risk of a relapse. But because they had to treat it blind and they didn't find out what type of chemo it was, what type of cancer it was, sorry, till at least a month down the line that they couldn't get a true reading of whether it was higher or lower risk of a relapse. So that's something I will never ever know. And it's not knowing that, I'm saying that, if it had been a high risk of a relapse, would that have helped me? I'd have probably been worse, I don't know. That's something I'll never know because if I'd have been told he's lower risk of relapse, that doesn't mean he's never going to relapse. But then if I'd have been told he was high risk of relapse, I'd have constantly been waiting for that. But then not knowing, I'm like, well, is that worse? Is that not worse? I, I just, it's not something that I can figure out in my own mind. But it's, it scares me that I'm going to have to go back to the GP, the very GP that told me, me that I was just a frantic mother. And to a degree, I think that's a lot of all of this is why we've done what we've done with the charity and stuff. So that um, we can not only is it a distraction for me to do some good and to give some good back for what help we've received but also to spread the awareness because up until it happened i didn't realize just how many children this affected and that's thomas there with his beads of courage um i've got some here i haven't actually got his big bag but that's something that 
in years to come. He he goes through stages where he likes them, then he hates them. And I can understand why he hates them, because it's a reminder of all the times he's been injected and all the times he's had to have things go like in his body. So these are, I haven't threaded these on yet, but these are like the beads you can get um, for doing. So these are the special active courage beads that you get when you've done something particularly brave. Um, and they like to give you them. And on the back, you can write what you achieved it for, things like that. Then we've got, um, I'm just going to show you like a few of them. So the white one is for every round of chemo he's had. The blue one is for every steroid he's ever had. The black one is for every time they've injected his central line. There's a yellow one that signifies every hospital stay. The red is for every blood transfusion. There's so many. And then there's like the bumpy ones here for every challenge he's had like with walking things like that and it all signifies something then there's this special one here which is the anchor bead and they do that they give you these for like it says your family friends and caregivers are thinking of you and offer the anchor as a symbol of hope the anchor is often a sailor's last resort in stormy weather it is the anchor that remains firm and steady amidst the stormy waters. We hope the anchor will be a symbol of strength for you to see your see through your storms of life. And those are given for um, people that have like helped Thomas. And when he's been going through a particularly tough time, you can be given the anchor as a sign of strength. Mm -hmm. for people that have helped and supported him. Now, when we were on Periscope, there was a large group of people that went on to the Beads of Courage website, uh, Facebook page, and nominated Thomas to receive this special bead, which he got. He actually got that. So, like, Tracy in the comments is one. And he also received, I'm just going to cover the surname up. Um, hang on. Uh, the member of the month. So he got the member of the month certificate. And that was for July 2020. Because he'd been through a really trough, uh, trough, rough, is that a word? A really tough, rough <laughs> um, time at that time. And it was recognised that he was doing particularly well at that time. Really, really struggling but fighting still but the one thing we have done um this is not that's fine is we for his seventh birthday we were asked if we wanted to raise money in thomas's name because we'd already raised over a thousand pounds prior to this charity coming around and we did uh we said we would because it's been a distraction for me as something positive to do, but also to, to give back because we've received an awful lot of help from charities and people and I wanted to give back and Thomas was very much wanting to do the same. So for his seventh birthday, we set that up and 
he said he wanted to raise. I said, set a target to raise in one year. Originally, he said £50,000. I'm like, mm. we're not that good, Thomas. I said, maybe not because <laughs> like, realistic. I'm like, 5000 still a huge push. But he did it. We did it in one year. We raised over £5,000 for um, children's cancer. And that goes to raising money to find better, kinder cures that are less debilitating because it's caused Thomas. There's a very good chance Thomas will never have his own children. They've said he'll most likely be sterile. Mm-hmm. Um, and the damage it's caused to his legs, his hands, things like that. So I want to try and get the money that's raised for for that to try and find something kinder. But also, I think back, I, I don't know if there's any connections to it. It's something I've asked them to look into. But when I was pregnant, I was told he was high risk for Down syndrome. I've also noticed that there's a lot of children that have been in the hospital that have had Down syndrome and speaking to other parents, their child, they were told the same about their child. And I'm wondering if if there's a connection and I'd like them to maybe look into it. Obviously the funds are stretched and things, but you know, when you get a hunch and you're like, I wonder. Yeah. That's definitely worth uh, looking into. Everything is. And you brought up something there that I'd like to touch on before we close up um, for the evening. We made the papers a few. I haven't got them all, but we've been in the papers a few times. We are actually being filmed tomorrow by the BBC. Um, I will film that and perhaps maybe we can share it on the show if you like Um, because it's going to be on the TV radio and on the internet so I'll be able to share that with you but I will certainly record the TV one I don't know how widespread it's going to be certainly the radio you should be able to get but they're Mm. coming to film us tomorrow and then this (laughs) one is um when we had some money stole from the charity it was in one of the money boxes and it was on boxing day um it was stolen not this year not last year the year before and despite it being stolen um thomas he didn't want it to let it put him off and said that we're still going to do it um they said there was about 50 pounds approximately in the in the box and with it going into the papers they put the details and stuff and actually they people donated way more than what was in that box so that was good to see and that also kind of restored thomas's faith in in the fact that you know there are bad people but there are a lot of good people yeah and just want to share a few little memories with you because I know we're coming up. We are on the hour now. Oh, go ahead. So one of the charities that helped us um, sent us on a little holiday after he'd finished his very intensive treatment. And they give you a memory box. 
So this is the, the memory box that they give you. And then you get a bottle to fill up with sand from the beach, uh, which we did do. And then there's an elephant you get, which is in his room. And then you get a little angel. Um, and then there's, there's loads and loads of different things. Shells from the beach. We didn't actually manage to find any because it was quite rainy at the time. Oh. Um, but to good old UK, hey? But lots and lots of little memories. And um, things that, you know, that I, I'm going to keep for him so that maybe one day he will want to share with, I don't know, his own children if he ever does have them. Um, Absolutely anyone his partner because he's been through a hell of a battle and i think that in time he will share that but um yeah there's some more pictures this one here was taken on the holiday that i mentioned it was the intensive treatment that took all of his hair it didn't go straight away but it was the intensive one this is a party that we had when he was Class, they class him as being in remission after he's had the intensive chemo. Even though I don't like, I don't like it when they say in remission when they're still on treatment because it gives people false hope. I don't think they should say in remission till they've finished all the treatment. But that's just my personal opinion mm -hmm. because I think certainly some people, and I'm not going to name names or anything like that, some places when they think that the child is in remission, they tend to be not as keen and maybe things are a bit lax. Whereas when they think that, oh, he's got cancer, they're more careful, like down to sterilizing everything. And it's things like when he was at school, he had to have his own Play-Doh because germs. And he had his own pens and pencils and just things like that because he's immunosuppressed. And then now because of COVID, I make sure he has his own stuff anyway. Uh, this is him. I don't know if you should. No, we didn't show this one. With his beads. Now, he's struggling to smile there. I didn't send the one to you where he cried because, I again, that's one that I didn't really put online. Because we were talking about his beads and then he just burst out into tears. And it's something that has been very much affected is his mood. He has big mood swings at times um some of you will have seen me broadcasting um even tim when i've been on with tim and he's just decided to make an appearance at silly o'clock because he can't sleep or because he's upset about something and he doesn't know what he's upset about he can't really control his emotions too well and then this one here we went to build a bear and there's his bunny that has been through a lot of the treatments and stuff with him and then there was um yeah the bunny <laughs> he likes bunnies he's desperate for a rabbit he's absolutely desperate for a rabbit and he was watching my phone when i was watching ella actually and he was saying oh we could have a house rabbit like that so yeah he's definitely after um having a an, a rabbit like ella he wants a house rabbit <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think we've shown all the photos, haven't we? Yes. Yeah. I'll take that one off. I will if I can find it. 
Where is it? Oh, there we go. Remove. There we go. But yeah, no, thank you for letting me ramble on and share. But on the 14th, it is actually World Child Cancer Day. So, yes, that is that's the whole point. Um, it's not rambling, it's uh, um, it's sharing, it's Mm -hmm. it's it's doing what you have to do, it's doing what you should do, uh, Mm -hmm. to to get that out and to let everybody else kind of listen. And that's what we're here for. And There's then, no way I could have done this at the start. Like, it took me so long to just tell people what he had. But then eventually I set up a Facebook page in order to just, because I didn't have the energy to tell everybody separately. I thought, I'm just going to do it on there. And then people that want to know can know. People that don't want to know don't have to bother. And it turned into so much more. And we had so many people that didn't know us wanting to help, wanting to send stuff to him. Like I've got here in his memory box an absolute mountain of cards that people have sent him. He's had cards from all over the world. Um, People that have been sending him cards, postcards, birthday cards, Christmas cards. And I've kept them all. Was make a wish badge, <laughs> um, and then even like down to the Amazon gift things, I've kept mm-hmm. everything for him because he was young and probably won't really remember all of it. But when he's older, it will be something that he really will probably just want to look over. But absolutely yeah. everything that he's been sent ever I've kept Tracy I know you've sent some things to him um other people online have as well and I've kept everything um it's all in this box as I say there's like like Tracy sums it up pretty nicely there you're a strong woman and even (laughs) that's just half of it that's (laughs) just half of it I've kept it all everything is in here and then oh Tracy will remember this here we go Chuck E. Cheese, when we came to see you, we have that. Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, dear. Oh, my. Well, again, thank you to Gemma for sharing. Um, There's an outpouring of support for you in the the chat. A great community here that we have on Twitch Mm -hmm. and with the Mental Health Hour. Um, We'd like to thank you guys again from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, for for tuning in every week and watching us and listening yeah. and, uh, and and joining us um, and and thank you for all the bits, all the subs, all the follows, all the likes, all the shares. Um, it really does make us feel warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so. Uh, I did want to touch on one quick thing before we wrap it up. Um, you had mentioned a little bit. You had mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, this has been kind of a nice distraction for you. Some of this stuff, like the um, mm-hmm. the cataloging and, and and all of that, and then the the charity itself. Um, oh yeah, the charity work. I, I I wanted to point out that you know distraction kind of has uh, some negative connotations in in mental health you don't want to you don't want to distract too much but distraction also has its positive 
uh, side as well. There's a lot of positive distractions from, you know, there's a difference between distraction and avoidance, I guess, is what I'm uh, trying to get. I think both, yeah, definitely. I just wanted to touch on that, and Mm -hmm. uh, that was all I had. So thank you again. Um, Please remember, I dropped them in the chat there, www.mybunnyvalentine.com. Ella the Bunny Mom has been in uh, the comments tonight. Uh, she streams uh, almost nightly on Twitch here, mm-hmm. uh, doing some ukulele. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get back uh, into one of her streams here now that work's kind of settling down. <clears throat> um, Jim in Chicagoland, normally we promote Catalyst as uh, that's his Wednesday program, but tonight at 10 p.m., a special start time. We have Saturday Night Trivia, so join him over on his channel, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mm-hmm. Um, Gemma, did you have any closing um, closing bits? I'll show this one. This is one that I've just managed to find. That's from Dave in Osaka. So there's lots of people from Periscope and stuff that sent them. I've got way too many to look through here, but I know so many people did. There was Doug and Ali and everybody. But there are still ways to send things to him if anybody ever did want to. Um, but there is, yeah. uh, there is the website for the charity. Right? Yeah, it's on the end, but it's um, I made it as a short link, uh, tinyurl.com mm-hmm. forward slash Thomas Fund. You want to throw it into the chat? That's Yeah. And then, um, guys, if you want to send Thomas anything. I'm sure Gemma would love uh, to have have you do that. You could probably reach out to her directly on her messages. Uh, of course, all of our socials are in our bio link, bio.link slash TMHH. Um, you can get a hold of either Gemma or I. Um, yeah. And yeah, if you'd like to send Thomas a little something, uh, just uh, get in touch with Gemma. Just know that it all gets saved, everything, absolutely everything that he's ever received, all in there. As it uh, should. The memory has turned into memory boxes. I'm going to need a memory room at this rate. So. <laughs> For sure. Uh, this yeah. week, uh, guys, we'll be back to normal, back on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. UK. We have a special guest joining us, Sarah yeah. Lightman, here on the Twitch channel. Um, a wonderful singer um, and musician. Yeah. Uh, just moved to Nashville, Tennessee, it sounds like. So, mm-hmm. so we'll be talking with her and um, we'll be back, like I said, on Wednesday, back to normal, back on Catalyst Wednesdays. Um, so thank you guys uh, for joining. Oh, I should mention also yeah. we have on March 2nd, uh, we're doing part or round two uh, live Q&A. Uh, mm-hmm. Much like we did the first time around, we have the Google Doc on the bio link. Uh, it's a Google form. It's an anonymous form, uh, and you can scan the QR yeah. code right there. It works if you have a QR code scanner. If you scan it, it takes you straight to the page. You can submit a question completely anonymously. Um, mm-hmm. There's no way that we can know, even if you write your name, uh, and say, hey, this is Tim Conrad. We can't really verify that. So it's, yeah, no way, it's no completely way. anonymous. 
so please feel free to submit us a question, um, anything and everything mental health related, not who we think is going to win the Super Bowl or anything like that. Um, and please keep it respectful and, you know, uh, let's try and keep names to a minimum if at all possible, or we may have to admit some. Uh, last time we did this, we had a great uh, turnout and uh, looking forward to doing this again. Mm -hmm. uh, we've already had a few. I saw trickle in. So that's all I got. We'll see you guys next week here. Uh, same place, same time. Not Saturday, though. No, Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday uh, with Sarah Lightman. Thanks, guys, for joining. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.